Welcome to episode 108 of the Ninja Mountain Podcast, the podcast for artists and by artists. Ninja Mountain is a loose collective of fantasy sci-fi artists who like to talk about the art and business of freelance illustration. Ninja Mountain is a proud member of the Visual Artist Podcast Network. On our glorious panel this week, we have Sokar Miles. That's you, Sokar. Oh, uh, land ho! And Patrick McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> Stow the mizzen mast. And I am what Jeremy McHugh. Sailor, what do we do? <laughs> and I am Jeremy McHugh, captain of the sinking ship. All right, guys, what do we want to talk about this week? You were you had you wanted to maybe get the the word out for uh, people to drop some Fair. artwork on us for critique. Yeah. Yes. So Sokar uh, pointed out that we haven't done a critique episode for quite a while, so we could do one or two of those because we love doing them, and people like hearing them. And uh, there were some of our most popular episodes when we've done those in the past. So if you want a whole bunch of uh, ninjas pawing over your personal stuff, you could uh, do worse than to send some things to us. Uh, if you anything you want critiqued, be it something you think is really great or uh, might get greater or something you think is really bad and needs improvement or maybe something that's in progress um, or stuff that's published I especially like to critique stuff that's already been published and yeah. paid for so that way you, you can feel stuff that's <laughs> been accepted you can say oh I'd never accept this oh wait what it's in oh, it's in spectrum oh okay sorry <laughs> that, last part, that last part was all a joke <laughs> was it? we hope <laughs> no I was quite serious no that's, that's fine yeah so, yes. Mm, mm. Yeah, so uh, just send things to us. How would you do that? How would you send things to us, you wonder? Well, the best way to do it is probably to go to our uh, our blog, which is ninjamountain.blogspot.com, and uh, just leave a, a message in this uh, this episode's show notes with a link to your piece of art and who you are. Uh, can you think of a better way to do that, Jeremy? I, I, that sounds perfect to me. I, if you um, you can post your image, if you if you do not have the means, so you, well, I would hope you have means to post your artwork online in some fashion. So that should be easy enough. I mean, DeviantArt has if, space. If not, you're probably not listening to this. And so my question <laughs> is, what's happening right now? <laughs> no, there seems to be no shortage of options right now. You guys were t- we were re- before this uh, show started. We were talking a little bit about uh, DeviantArt and Epilogue and. And what have you? And I was wondering, uh, what do you guys, what do you guys like to go? You like DeviantArt, right? That's a pretty cool. I, I've, I'm a recent convert to DeviantArt. Well, you know, I have sort of a love, love slightly less um, indifferent relationship with DeviantArt. Um, it has some really annoying features, but um, it is a good source of publicity. Oddly enough. Um, I, I never cease to be surprised when I get serious job offers from people who've seen me on a site where I can go to the front page and see, um, you know, a big vulva right in my face. <laughs> or a badly drawn, uh, you know, picture on lined paper uh, <laughs> of a vulva. <laughs> oh, God. Or of anything, frankly, but mostly the vulva thing. Um, yeah. Or 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 uh, those sort of weird those furries that are drawn in an anime style. Oh, you know. Is there a word for that? 
but you're oh, you just there everywhere. A... No, 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 no. It's not the furries that are so bad. I'm, I've almost got used to seeing the furries. It's the extremely, extremely, not fat, because they don't look like regular fat people would look, but they look like they got kind of puffed up with air from a... Um, you know what I mean? I've been seeing it a lot in art lately. Pictures of like puffed up fairies. They, they look I like. I really don't like, know. Yeah, I, they look, I haven't they seen look like they got a, They ate a puffer fish and it went right inside them. Oh, are they, are they like BBW furries? No, sorry, because it's not so much. <laughs> it's not so much like rolls of fat as just like they're puffed right up like balloon furries. And and it's very it's very weird and 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 strange and weird. All three of those things, huh? Yeah, I'm not sure if the people just don't know how to draw fat, or if there's some new fetish I don't know about, or. You know, I was. You know, this kind of brings me to a little. You know, you guys know I've been teaching. I've been pretty busy with that lately, and one of the things I'd noted um, amongst my students is the prevalence of sort of that manga anime look to yeah, the work that's popular. coming into my class it's it's interesting because you know we look at the the work that influenced us as we were teenagers and entering our early 20s and it's somewhat different from what's inter, you know what is uh, uh what's at the forefront of thought for some of the guys who are coming in going through college right now um, yeah cause that's it, true i'd never even heard of anime and manga till i was dating this guy just before I went to art school, who was really into it. Mm-hmm. I just noticed how much of that is. It's so it's it's a very popular look right now. You know, a lot of kids are being influenced well, by it. Well, gosh, it's been popular for ten or twelve years, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's sort of still prevalent. That yeah. that's a surprise. The, the thing is, it wasn't so prevalent when I was at that age. You see what I'm saying? I'm I'm turning 36 yeah. this month, and I'm, I was the kind of you. I imagine like yourself, Patrick. We kind of were weaned on the like with the Starankos and the Bissemas and the the Kirby the, schools and the the American comic book yeah, stars. Yeah, yeah. John Byrne and uh, yeah, Joe Kubert and people of that ilk. You know. Mm-hmm. Of course, Absolutely. Of course, the bulk but, of my readership probably took place in the more like more like in the '90s, and you had like the prevalence of the West Coast style, you know, mm-hmm. of, of comic art, and that was more of yeah. our influences. And <laughs> it did rub life out. Oh God! Life. Oh God! <laughs> Don't know, go I there. To, I have to admit, I actually like quite a lot of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't draw it because I, I um, my hand isn't steady enough for those smooth, clean lines that they do. But um, you know, I think uh, I think it's I think it's got something. Uh, maybe maybe not the. Um, I, mean, I mean, some of it is some of it is pretty bad. But ninety percent of everything is bad, and the ten yeah. percent that's good is really pretty um, nice, nicely drawn. Huh. Well, you think uh, well, well I, yeah, just about anything. I mean, I love a lot of uh, anime style, uh, you know, and manga artwork. It's really. Well done. It's what you can do within that style. Yeah. Like, for instance, uh, Jack Kirby, every bit as stylized as uh, a manga artist. Oh, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he had his own style and created his own style that other people copied rather than yapping, but, but you know, go with me here. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's no more close to realistic than the anime style oh, yeah. in general is. And... Uh, 
Yeah, very popular. It gets its particular kind of storytelling across, and it's it's a good tool to use. Oh. So I think, yeah, it depends on what you want, what what sort of story you want to tell, what sort of action you want to convey, and what sort of style that you personally find aesthetically appealing. Yeah, I came yeah, to... I think, I, think the problem, I think the problem arises when people are using cartoon styles by default because it's, you know, it's what they've seen, it's what they use for entertainment, it's what they know. But they don't have um, they don't have a real foundation in in drawing uh, yet, and and uh, they're they're um, uh, adopting stylistic affectations to cover up a lack of knowledge, and I think that's why a lot of people are oh I'm so sick of all the crappy oh, anime. Yeah. You know, there there are people out there who they, they haven't. They haven't covered the basics yet, but then who among us? Who among us didn't start? Didn't try to start with what we what we'd been using for entertainment, what we wanted to emulate. I mean, when I was in high school, um, yeah, I'd go to the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge, and I'd uh, try and I'd I'd, I'd uh, take my notebook with me and I'd draw some of the paintings that were on the walls, and then I'd go home and I'd try to copy them. And, and you know, I try to, I try to, I try to do Arthur Rackham's style. I try to do, try to do all sorts of different artist styles. And I had no idea what I was doing. I, I didn't have any of the foundations. And I could just as easily, if if it had been comic books, I'd been exposed to at that age. That's what I'd have been trying to copy. Well, one of the things I was trying to do with my students, mm-hmm. and I think I've got through to them a little bit on on the topic of, um, at least certainly amongst the most stylized artists in my classroom. I, I tried to impress upon them the uh, the importance of reference, regardless of drawing style or or, cart- or illustration style. Because I have some fairly truly cartoonish uh, artists in the in the room, but uh, my thoughts were, take reference in it anyway. It will it won't, and I'm not saying that you should allow reference to subsume your style, but use it to inform and to augment and to you know give it more nuance. You know, it's like. Um, she, one student had a fairly, um, who I thought was a really charming drawing, lots of, uh, lots of, uh, lots of style, you know, lots of opinion, really interesting. But I felt that she could, she should explore the use of reference because it would add a certain nuance to expression and mm-hmm. things like that. So, you know, if you might have a, someone you know, acting out this particular scene and they might do something you wouldn't even consider, like raise a pinky from the hand, you know, pull a pinky away from the hand, or raise an eyebrow, or make a, a make a face that's something you wouldn't normally have referred to in your personal lexicon. And yeah. I, I think would things be an like, angle you wouldn't even have thought of. Oh yeah. Or, uh, wow, I never would have thought of how that shadow comes across the face right there. Look at that. My reference has helped. Even if you're doing a, a completely cartoony look, mm-hmm. uh, reference reference helps tremendously. It's. Yeah, I had to. I had to. I'm trying to get them across. That you know, get that notion across. Because even though it's not necessarily going to, it's not going to replace their personal vision. But it's. I think it's something that they can. They shouldn't. Uh, certainly, they shouldn't follow reference out the window. I've seen that happen too. I, I, I think. think. I think a lot of people feel that you know, getting really formal and, and getting into technique heavily and using a lot of reference is going to stifle your creativity. But in fact, it's going to augment your creativity of anything it's it's it's, it's going to um, allow you to to show what you really want to show 
um, with with less limitations than if you're trying to pull it all out of your head. Oh yeah, especially when you're working at two or three in the morning, and all you want is to just get it done, but you don't have the answers. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you if you're if at two or three in the morning you're still just struggling because a hand looks wrong, you could have saved yourself. It could have been done in 15 minutes mm-hmm. or less with good reference. Yeah, and you know? everyone's got a hand and a camera. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, take a picture that, of your damned hand. That that's yeah. That's regardless of your drawing style, I don't care if your hand if the character's hand only has three fingers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah if, I, if I'm stuck. I, I really try to do that. If I'm stuck for more than ten or fifteen minutes on anything, I'll say, "Oh, my! Either my reference isn't good enough, or I don't have any time to get some." <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm, I'm trying to give my classes focused more on process and saving yourself a lot of um, time, but at the same time, in the same breath, I want them to become very fluid with their process and one that they can refer to, regardless of whatever medium they're using. You know, in the in the age of every phone having a camera on it, there's really very little excuse for not taking photo reference. I mean, yeah, I, I sound like a total privileged person thinking everybody has a cell phone, but you know, most people do have a cell phone. I well, don't have a cell yeah, well, phone. And digital an cameras. I mean, point and clicks are getting dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. They're getting yeah. dirt cheap. Heck, you, yeah. if if you really don't want to make that initial investment, go get one of those disposables. You know, if you really must, if you're, you know, what I'm saying it's it's not like a, it's it's really not that big an investment, if, especially yeah, if all you're using it for is reference. It would so much easier for me in art school if if cameras on everything had been as prevalent as they are now. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if I'd had a camera on my phone, oh my goodness, I had a photography class that was mandatory my first year, but I had to sell my Pentax so I could get some food, um, and I ended up buying this camera that was the cheapest one I could possibly find to replace it. And um, it took four exposures per frame, like one mm-hmm. second apart. And this was not what was required. <laughs> so I had an absolute nightmare trying to get some decent pictures, especially considering I couldn't afford a development tank. So I had to go into the uh, dark room and cut up the film into pieces and stick them in the uh, and stick them in a margarine tub <laughs> <laughs> and then in and then in the um, and then in the uh, you know the room with the machines where you put the the film under the, the, the what do you call those uh, who cares and then I had to try and pick, piece together all the pictures again that I had cut up in the dark room so yeah. that was a, that was a nightmare of a class and you know if my phone had had a camera on it that might have been a significantly less painful course. <laughs> there you go. I am sitting here now with artist Michael C. Hayes. And uh, Michael, you've done a great deal of work. Are you, what are some of the clients you're working with right now? Right now I'm working for Watsi on uh, Magic the Gathering. That's my biggest client. I've also, I'm actually work doing uh, book covers for a few self-published authors. That I don't even know how they found me, but they, they both want me to do multiple covers for them. So, And then, and then personal work. I'm going to be doing a Magic Playmat for a company. I've got lots of stuff in the pipeline. So it's, it is looking to be a good year. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, what are some of where did you get your education in painting 
I studied at Watts Atelier of the Arts. It's a small school about 45 minutes north of San Diego. I had a very, very classical education. Uh, I studied, I pretty much, I didn't, there's no physics classes or science class or any in a math class. I, I just literally drew and paint, drew and painted for five years, like 68 hours, 60, 80 hours a week um, in a very classical sense, but with modern working illustrators teaching it so that, so I can work on it, you know, modern deadlines and use modern, you know, be familiar with modern principles as well, so. Fantastic. Now, what were some of your first work? Uh, when did you graduate, and how did you get your first work? Was well, it? It was. It was. It's not a normal school. I never actually graduated. It's. 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 It's, it's a. It's. Um. It's like an ongoing education program where you, you take as many or as few classes as you want to take. So it was weird. I. I started about three three years in. I started getting a few few odd jobs here and there, um, and I gradually kind of took less classes and get, as I got more work, and I just kind of it's like about a year and a half transition from being a student, you know full-time student to, to illustrating almost full-time. Uh, my first client was actually Legends of Norath, uh, Sony's uh, online card game. Uh, yeah, and that was, that was a great first gig. I you know, could not have asked for a better first gig for, for you know, how much freedom they gave me and, and, and uh, you know, for it being the kind of stuff I want to do, you know, and the pay was, was good too for a first gig, so, yeah. <laughs> Were there any, uh, are there any pitfalls that you become aware of you learned to navigate as a, as a freelance illustrator or... Uh, can you elaborate on that? Well, okay. Um, I don't know. Like, I know there are challenges. For instance, um, you know, conducting your business. You know, like uh, contracts. Have you, uh, for instance, um, working as an oil painter in such a deadline, fast-driven uh, marketplace? What are some of the things that you've uh, done to to allow yourself to function properly? Probably one of the biggest things as an oil painter is not necessarily something that. I did it. Something that happened to me is that I fell in with a group of collectors who started buying my work. And that allowed me to spend a lot more time per painting than I would never normally have allowed, you know, been allowed to do if, if I was working digitally or or if I wasn't selling original. So I was able, you know, like even like even getting around drying times, just because I was able to spend two or three weeks on a painting. Sometimes I was able to get around get around that um, just by taking, you know, by taking fewer work deadlines. Have not been a, a biggest an issue for me as I know for it is for a lot of other people. And I'm very very ex- extremely fortunate in that regard for that to have happened to me. Um, does that answer your question? I, I don't know. Oh yeah, no, certainly. Um, I get, you have to effectively, really have to effectively, as, like, as any creator, you have to really effectively time manage. And what, how does your typical day start and end? I uh, get up, and it's pretty typical. Like, I, you know, I get up, I check my emails, have some breakfast. You know, I go through the normal stuff. Um, and typically, you know, I, I kind of work on one thing throughout the day. I'm usually usually painting all day. I, I work very very long hours. Um, I'll, I'll get up and I'll just I'll paint ten, sometimes twelve hours a day. Um, whether and then uh, there's, there's not a lot to say about it. I, mean, I, I paint, I eat, I paint some more. I paint. And, you know, <laughs> if, if I get done early, I get to watch a movie before I go to sleep. And then you know, and then and then every once in a while, my friends call me and say, "Mike, get the you know get out of the house." <laughs> I like that down to earth answer. Sometimes, say, oh yeah, I get up at four thirty in the morning and I just paint until midnight the next day. And you know. I, I still have yet. I don't use an alarm. I, I, t- I tend to get up around eight or nine, but it's like some some days I'll just sleep until 10 and, and it's kind of you know I love being able to just do that when I need to uh, but that, when that when I sleep in that just means I, st- I go to bed later the night the night that night so yeah <laughs> has there ever been a, has there been a project you got that call to do something and you just did this really uh, monstrous touchdown dance and little feast on fire in your living room kind of thing 
that actually happened to me at the IMC, and I'm sure you're listening at the Illustration Masterclass. I'm sure all the listeners must know about that. that. Um, I painted the Joan of Arc piece there about a year and a half from now, and it, it was I was positively giddy while painting it, like the whole time. When, you know, people like you know Donato's coming by and James Gurney's coming by, telling me how amazing it is, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm painting this. Like, this is, is this my hand? Is this you know? Um, and it was a weird thing. You know, it, part of it was just because of the amazing you know the instruction at the IMC, and part of it was just a lot of things I had been working on finally just kind of came together in one week of awesomeness. And I, I mean, you know, that that piece is you know it's gotten me more work and more accolades. It's got you know got a it's got to have a full page in Spectre. I mean that you know that is easily my touchdown dance, and there have been many many dances associated with that painting since then. <laughs> oh. And it was you know, it wasn't you know it wasn't a work project. It was you know it was, it was a class assignment. You know so. Now, for our listeners, are there any any uh, pieces of advice that you would offer to somebody who wants to get started, you know, in illustration, who is, or maybe has had a few years working but wants to get better? Uh, that's a loaded. That's a tough one because there's um, one thing that you know. To simplify, if you want to do this, you have to work harder than everyone else, and you have to work smarter than anyone else. Everyone else. Um, and working smart is tough to do. It's 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 more. There's this is kind of adage that goes around that they say you know you have to get you know a thousand bad drawings before you do a good one. And a lot of people seem to take that if they just mindlessly move their wrist for a thousand hours and then automatically you know paint drawing number a thousand one or painting number a thousand one is going to be the good one. It it doesn't work that way. It, it, you have to. I mean, the working smart, working hard is easy to tell people. Put in more, just as many hours as you can. The working smart, you have to be actively aware and conscious of like what are you doing, what are you learning from it, where, what are you getting from this. So you do not just move your wrist. Do not do not do the same damn painting in your sketchbook or drawing in your sketchbook over and over again. Challenge yourself. Come to these conventions. Talk to people. Get as much input as you can so that you get as much mileage out of each hour that you're doing. And it, it's like it should it should be like a workout. You, you can't go into a gym and walk on the, on the treadmill and expect results. You gotta. It should hurt. It should be frustrating, and you should be tired by the end of it. And you should be getting. If you're not seeing results from that work, you gotta change something. You you have to be very aware of your process and what you're doing, why you're doing it. And if you're not, say if you're not, if it's not hurting, if it's not frustrating, and if you're not getting those results from it, you gotta do something different. You gotta change it up so that so that you are getting results and you are making headway. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. But I think that is just magnificent advice. To be truthful, yeah, we hear we hear about you know the practice for 10,000 hours but there's yeah. a difference between simply practicing yeah. and quality practice yeah, yeah you know? exactly and, and you know and I, could, I could go into a lot more specifics um, but uh, you know you, you get those specifics by you know getting portfolio reviews or even just go, going through past episodes of Ninja Mountain or any any other online resource you find those specific things on how how to work smart but like again I was trying to tell you in a general sense that you be 100% sure that you are working smart you know is the only way you know that's the best advice I can give someone, you know, in a general sense. Well, that's fantastic. Where can people learn more about your work? Uh, you can find me at, um, I'm all over the internet, but the two main places are uh, Mike at art of, er, artofmike.com and michaelchays.blogspot.com. And from there, you can link to my Twitter and Facebook and DeviantArt and CG Hub. And now the, the new one that we, uh, WIP is putting together, uh, um, uh, a new website, so I'll be on there. Just pretty much everyone on the internet, you'll find links to that to me. So <laughs> That's very cool. Thank you so much, man. No problem at all. Thank you.
question. I wonder who we. Oh, go ahead, Bri. I was actually. I have one question for you guys. I'm curious about. We were talking about influences and such. Mm-hmm. Who who do you think were your primary influences? Looking back on it. Oh gosh, you mean you mean when I when we were first starting? Well, yeah. Who were some of the people you got you saying I want to do that? That's what I want to do. Oh, I mean, granted, that answer changed month to month as you're exposed to new artists and what have you. But I'm just curious to know. There were the big ones for me were Michael Haig, um, Arthur Rackham, uh, Gustave Doré, mm-hmm. um, Albrecht Durer. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, a lot of artists in in those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of artists who did work with a lot of detail, a lot of um, whimsy. Mm-hmm. But, that's, um, that's good stuff. <laughs> how about you, Patrick? How about me? Um, mostly comic book artists. Uh, uh, let's see. Jim Steranko. Probably oh, boy, he said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you knew I had to. Uh, what Barry was it about Winters, his work that grabbed yeah. you? Oh, you know, when I was a kid, what, what grabbed me was when I was really young, I I loved Jack Kirby comics, um, even though he wasn't really popular at that point when I was growing up. He was sort of past his prime. I just loved him. I thought he was great, uh, you know, for the action and the storytelling. But I didn't really think of it as I love the art. You know, I was just like I was a little kid and say, "Ooh, this is the fun stuff." And then I I was a comic collector at a very young age, so I. I had I started collecting comics and I found this Jim Steranko guy from the late 60s and r- realized that he had sort of taken Kirby's uh, stylization and put it into a very uh, pop art context. Um, a lot of uh, crazy uh, uh, if, uh, op art effects and a lot of... Uh, uh, wild storytelling and things nobody had ever really done before in the storytelling of comics. And yet he was using uh, Kirby's basic language to do it. And I, when I realized that was what was happening, it was just a huge inspiration for me um, that, that you, could, you could take a tradition of something that had been done in one way and sort of mold it into your own way of doing it. So that, that was a big... Uh, revelation for me at a very young age and so that's why i often think of him as one of my big 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 influences uh but yeah barry windsor smith i was just in love with his line work and then that got me into uh uh, looking at some of the classics like arthur rackham uh same as sokar i really liked rackham at a young age um who else would have been a big influence oh and then uh uh, of course, uh, the other cliched one that I have to mention is Frazetta, because mm-hmm. Frazetta really was when I I looked at his uh, book covers and said, "Oh wow, oh I see, you can make a living just doing really cool paintings." I get it now, and somehow I'd never really thought of that before looking at Frazetta. Uh, so his very, uh, you know, it wasn't even the characters; uh, it was the colors in a way, but it was more the structural way that he. Uh, approached everything. It's like when you look at a Frazetta painting, especially from his really classic era from the uh, mid-60s to the probably late 70s, um, things look uh, really sculpted. And I just I just loved that look as a kid. I thought, wow, it's almost like he's 
he's making sculptures with paint. And that, that was another great revelation for me. So those are, those are probably my earliest uh, influences. Yeah, I think I was, I was, remember when I was a kid and I was doing drawings of uh, Death Dealer before I even knew who Frazetta was. You know, I was, I was aware of these images before I was ever aware of the artist. And that's, I know that's kind of odd. Uh, another time I remember copying, uh, doing a watercolor or drawing, actually, I think it was a drawing copy of one of John Howe's, uh, it was John Howe's uh, Gandalf in the, uh, in the Shire. That I learned. I came to learn later that that painting had actually been stolen from John. At, oh, uh, oh, in, oh, John. It had been lost in the mail, or, or there was it had never reached its destination. Was gone forever, so or something like that. I, f I forget the whole situation, but it's simply someone walked off, basically trotted off with it. Somebody did that to me in art school. I hung up my drawings for critique, and I went down to the cafeteria to buy some coffee, and I came back. And my drawings were gone, so it looked like I didn't do my homework. Uh, uh, and was it an admirer or someone who just wanted to make you look bad? I don't know. I never found out. It's just somebody who wanted to pass their class. Had something similar to that. Oh, oh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to finish my sentence. You can take out oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> something similar to that a few years ago, I... Uh, had a garage sale and I made a bunch of big, uh, you know, a big poster board, um, big funny drawings about the garage sale, you know, like a monster attacking a city and it was a monster garage sale and, and all sorts of <laughs> things like that. Put them all around the neighborhood and at the end of the day I went to look for them and they'd all been stolen. Aww. Uh, so Kieran Yenner is on. Oh, do you oh, think, would Kieran like to come on? He says, should I leave Skype on? Are you guys still on? But he said this like almost 15 minutes ago. Oh, oh. tell him we're still on. We should totally get Kieran. Let's see. I'll, just, I'll send him a little texty. I got going here. So that was why I said, it. oh, oh. That was why. Oh, oh. Why oh, oh. excited ejaculation. <laughs> we, we need not cut that out. I think that's, that's charming is what that is. That's just charming, you know. Uh, you're just lazy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, you can't use ejaculation in that sense anymore. You just can't. It used to be a really fine oh. word to use. I do it advisedly, especially when I'm smoking some fags. <laughs> well, you can say you're having a fag. But you can't say if you're an American, because if you're an American, you're obviously just saying it so you can say fag. You're just trying to yeah. be shocking. Well. It's like, it um, it like that whole fanny pack episode. Oh, my God. When someone, who was it was talking about Anne's fanny? I was, I was <laughs> chatting. On, we were talking. In, in, in America, that word is a completely innocent term for your behind. It's a completely innocent <laughs> term in the U.S. So when I used it in... Uh, on that podcast, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not what it, it had really a completely means. different. If you recall, I called you Brits a bunch of uh, barbarians <laughs> for, for doing such a terrible thing to our one of such a cute and harmless word. Well, I, I think it was our word first, and possibly you stole it and turned it into an ass. We stripped of we stripped it of its shock value. Mm-hmm. That's part of what it was. We gave a completely different meaning. Was that Kieran I just heard? No. Yeah. Mm. 
I I still see him on Skype, but I don't know. He probably went to get a sandwich or something. Could be. Going yeah. And see if he gets back to us. Yeah, and our our listeners will be treated to the sound of ringing when the time I comes. Should, I should tell that story now. What? Oh no 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 don't don't no no no. We're we're having we're doing so well here. Come on now. I don't give me any. Don't. I have no time to edit. I truly what don't. Story, what story did you want to tell? No, don't. No, Sorry, I no. I you earlier, Patrick. No. Oh, oh God, no. Please, no. Okay. I do, I, again, I have yeah, no time to edit. You, under, you do not understand. He's begging me not to tell it, and he doesn't even know what the story is. I, I, I consider the source of, <laughs> of what's to come here. And oh, I have to say, I'll, I will edit in the, uh, in the, in the four, if you will. <laughs> Oh, there's Kieran. Bring oh, him on. Let's do it. Let's add Kieran to this. I'm telling the story, you know. You can't stop me. Don't tell no story. I won't be able to edit. No. You can tell it. This is going to go. This show is going in as is. Everybody, people, listeners right now, they're hearing all of this. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. Quite literally. <laughs> well, in that case, I have to tell the story because if I don't, it'll be like, Kieran. oh, damn. You should hear the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ever. Do, well, don't forget we're we're all ages now. We can we can say anything we want. Hey, we Karen. A- Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can yeah. hear you, sir. Uh, okay, cool. Thank we you for so stopping by. We are actually just kind of chatting about influences at the moment. Our conversation meandered towards that. Okay. What's your earliest influence? When you were a kid, what made you influenced? Uh, Jim Lee would be. My earliest influence, I think. God, Dude, Jim Lee, there's a name. I, I, I have that, that, that name comes to mind all the time. Because mm. I was reading comics in the early 90s, early to mid. Yep. You know? yep. Wait, how old is yeah. Karen? How old am I? Yeah. 30. 30? Oh. Okay. Yeah. See. So <clears throat> the funny thing about Jim Lee, I really loved his art when it came out you know in the late 80s i guess early 90s and it was like real exciting stuff but when i look at it now it so doesn't hold up the test of time um i think like like I looked at the wild, I had my Wildcats collection in my yeah. in my uh, bookcase, the, and I looked at it, you know, a few months ago, and I thought, oh my god, this is embarrassing. And at the time, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're young, when you're young, you don't really have as many things to compare it to. You don't have your own knowledge and your own education and experience to compare it to. You know, things that you think are awesome before art school are often not the things you think are awesome after. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think Jim Lee's gotten so much better over the years. It's kind of interesting. So maybe we, Kieran started looking at him when he'd already got awesome. Did you ever consider that? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you were saying, sir, Jim Lee, before I completely derail what you were saying. Huh? But you, you were saying about Jim Lee before I completely derailed with my own uh, reminiscence. No, no, I just... Uh, he's he's working on Kenny X Men, um, uh, was mm-hmm. uh, what I kind of um, drew, drew inspiration from. That. I mean, that's how I learned to draw. Is I would copy his artwork from Uncanny X Men, and then I'd make up my own superhero characters. So, 
Well, it seems to have worked for you. Yeah, I, that's cool. I remembered. I have. Re- I actually remember having the thought that uh, I'm going to create a style that's just like Jim Lee and such and such and such another artist, and I'm going to, you know, be, I'm going to be super awesome. You know, I'm going to be so popular. <laughs> then it occurred to me, wait a minute, don't you have to be able? You have to be able to draw first. <laughs> oh, that's a problem. That is a problem. I have to think about that one. I got to figure out how to solve that problem. You know, when, when I was in my twenties, I used to I used to start drawing the same comic book over and over and over again. I had I had like ten issues or so written, and I would I would draw the first one over and over because by the time I got to the end of it, I suddenly realized that I had got way more awesome by page thirty than I had been on page one. So I'd have to go back and try again to make it all awesome. And then I'd change the style a little bit and then it wouldn't match anymore. So I ended up doing the same thing over and over. And I never actually got beyond doing one issue of this thing. Oh, you know, I, I, got, a pic, I got a copy of Petar Maselgia's Steel Bashaw, The Legend of Steel Bashaw. And he'd worked on that book for a good 15 years. And, you know, he was, his work was very formative at the beginning of that book. And it's interesting to see how some of his sensibilities as a painter changed from the earliest uh, plates in that book to the last ones just before getting published. His own, uh, you, it kind of follows a little bit some of his own metamorphosis as a painter. You know, he had sometimes st- you don't want the public in general to see your metamorphosis. You want them to think you were always that great. Oh, it was all it was all very accomplished. I mean, he was clearly ready to do this sort of thing when he started. But you got to imagine 15 years of painting and working. Right, right. Oh, of course. You know, what that did, you know, it wasn't completely outweighed. It's not as though the book was unbalanced. It's merely that you could see his certain sensibilities and approaches changing over the course of the decade. It was it was very interesting. He had put on a uh, a painting demonstration at Illuxcon, which was pretty impressive. It's very it's amazing how quickly he can get some at least the bones of the painting in place. I need uh, to get a klaxon or something so I can blow it in your ear every time you talk about conventions. <laughs> 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 We're just trying to coax you out of your little nest there. That's all. Oh, I know. I haven't I haven't been outside in so long, except 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 for this week when I did go outside. Um, it was the first time I'd been outside in quite a while, and I hadn't even intended to go outside. I, I, w- I went downstairs to get my mail, and I hadn't put my shoes on, because, you know, sometimes you don't when you're not planning to actually leave the building. And it was kind of disgusting walking around in the in the foyer with no shoes, but it was early. I didn't think anyone would see me. But then I noticed there were all these crows out in the road mm-hmm. and in the tree outside my building, so I decided to go out and look at them. And um, it was really cold, and I thought, wow, you know, the ground here feels so cold. It almost feels wet. And then I looked down, and it was wet, and I suddenly realized it smelled like pee, and I was standing in somebody else's pee. <laughs> and that Wait. was the story you were trying to stop me from telling. Uh, Score! <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't so bad. <laughs> but you have to admit, Sokar, this is better than the average. Yeah, I okay. know. That's true. I think I told you it wasn't that bad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it wasn't one of those long meandering tales about your search for the perfect coat. So <laughs> Yeah, I still haven't found the perfect coat. Although I did get some new bedclothes this week. Um you know, new duvet cover sheets, uh, some of those little round pillows, you know. But you're gonna yeah, any anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
So it was Jim Lima at the beginning. Who, who uh, as you got better at your own craft, who is it you started looking at? Uh, Kieran. Um. Uh, I think. Uh, so it would have been Jim Lee and Mospotatio were mm -hmm. the, the first guys I kind of West really, Coasties. Uh, sorry. The West Coast style. Yeah, well, I guess the uh, they both worked on. Uh, uh, well, both worked on Uncanny X Men actually, mm -hmm. um, and then they went off to do Image comics and whatnot. But um, uh, uh, I then ended up going more into. Um, I actually stopped reading comics uh, when uh, the X Men kind of got cartoony, mm -hmm. kind of went a little manga-ish. Was that uh, like the Joe Mad era and the the, the Cruz era and? Uh, yeah, around around that time, um, and then uh, uh, that's when I actually started role playing. So um, at that point, um, you know, I liked I liked all the the, the um, uh, cover artists from from the the nineties mm. with D and D, um, but Tony Didalizzi was probably my biggest inspiration. Oh yeah, I I have a copy of the uh, the Planescape box set, which is he's just covered with his work. Well, yeah, uh, it was actually the Monstrous Manual. Um, oh, really? That's what sort of got me yeah, going. And then a friend of mine, we, we, we had a thing where um, with, within our friends, uh, we had to choose which, um, uh, essentially which um, brand or branch of D&D &D that we'd collect. So a friend of mine, Bob, had Planescape. Um, I collected Forgotten Realms. Um, a friend of mine, Connor, collected... Um, uh, we met Connor actually. He collected uh, uh, Ravenloft, um, so we weren't allowed to buy the other products because we would each dungeon master um, um, those things. Oh yeah, okay. Um, so that way we didn't know too much personally about about the worlds, um, so we'd have a bit of disconnect when we roleplayed. Um, and um, yeah, so I I didn't get to sort of own any of the the Planescape stuff that he worked on, but I used to look through it with. Um, and pop with bicycles. But, yeah. Cool. Cool. I'm trying to think. I think some of my first, uh, some of the first artists I became aware of in fantasy, I suppose Braum would be right up there. When I, my, some of the yeah. first games I ever role, role play was Dark Sun. And uh, uh, sure. I was just enamored of Braum's work. His uh, <laughs> designs and his cover art. I, I started reading the, uh, the accompanying novels by uh, Troy Denning. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was it was uh, just his stuff is really just amazing to me. I, I've always loved it. Um, mm -hmm. Later, I guess I would be looking at especially. I, I became much more aware of guys like Todd Lockwood with his with the third edition because I think that's when he started making some of his biggest uh, splash. I believe he'd done some stuff uh, leading up to third edition. I mean, he was doing some full color and you know. Full page interiors, I think, for some of the second edition D and D. But then when third edition came in, he was doing a lot of the concept and a lot of a lot of important artwork on that series. So, so I guess he's somebody I look at. What's was doing? Oh, you know, I think of uh, not D and D, but uh, doing a lot of. Uh, uh, covers and um, and cards back then was uh, Tim Bradstreet. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Awesome. awesome stuff. See, I never got to see most of this stuff because I'm not a giant nerd ass like you guys. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> are you calling me fat? 
<laughs> uh, no. <laughs> That's all he took away from that. <laughs> you, you can tell my priorities. <laughs> I feel you know I was, I was just being annoying. He, you know, that, In I, other I, words, you you spoke. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, I've been I've been being coming more and more intrigued with um, with oil paints as a medium, and maybe you guys either talk be speak in favor of or against. Try to sell it one way or the other. I don't think you can really argue for or against oil paint. I mean, it's not like it's not like oil paint is a huge contentious issue, like women's reproductive rights or. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Oil, oil like, paint. Oil paint owes me some money, man. Yeah. I, what the I, hell? I, I oil What's up with that guy? Oil paint makes me, it makes me sneeze, but. You know. <laughs> You're saying this is acrylics, uh, and then he'll use oil as glazing. So yeah. that might be experiment with. I think he lays down the foundation color um, with with acrylic, and that's how um, RK um, uh, used to do his stuff as well. I think. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's interesting. Right. I know Brom does. Is it, you just said Brom. Yeah, Brom. Yeah, I know Brom was doing that. I didn't I, know RK I, was doing uh, that, but I, I, when I was doing a lot of painting, that that was pretty much how I was uh, I was approaching oils was doing. Uh, and underpainting in acrylic and then uh, glazing oils on top of it. Usually it's quicker um, and the uh, acrylic makes a perfectly fine ground for the oils. Uh, obviously, kids out there, uh, <laughs> oils do not make a fine ground for acrylics. It doesn't Because <laughs> they all stick to the surface in a different way. Uh, Did but, you uh, uh, do like a matte varnish on top of the oil, the acrylics before going to oil, or? Nope. No, no, no. Just right no, on top. Just, just right on top. Uh, I did do one of all of, all the oils I ever did. I did one where it was an acrylic, really detailed acrylic underpainting, and then I went back and used uh, retouch varnish on top and started painting in oils on top of that. But it really didn't help or make any difference in any way uh you, you can put down a layer of you know retouch varnish or or uh or even just a medium yeah uh, before i think you matte start. mediums give us at least a slight tooth yeah i was thinking more like a uh, a linseed oil a medium or something and just uh. leave it wet before you start your uh oil layer to give it the wet on wet feel oh yeah, yeah. drew is actually Turned me on to uh, M. Graham as a brand, was it, but they're more like a walnut-based, a walnut oil-based paint, which I'm curious about. I don't really care for the idea of having a lot of uh, um, uh, strong solvents and. Yeah. Uh, well, you don't. You can, you, get don't. Those, you can get those water-soluble oils that are yeah. supposed to be yeah. a lot. I've those heard are, of those them, but wonderful. no, I, I used I used those. I have them whenever I do do oil painting, which is real seldom these days. Uh, but the last probably two years, I was really doing oils. Uh, I was using those exclusively. Really, the water solubles. I don't know. I've heard I've heard mixed reviews on those. Jerry's still out with me on that one, but I well try don't... them. Your, try them yourself and make up your own mind. You know. Yeah. No, I want people to make up my mind for me. Well, I'll say they're great. I I have tried a couple different brands, and the one I liked was uh, the Grumbacher. Grumbacher. Max oils, they're called. And the one I utterly hated was the Windsor and Newton, which felt like painting with plastic. 
Uh, so I might as well paint with acrylics. Certainly. <laughs> which is what that is. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, think, I guess it depends on what your style and your needs are. The, uh, the Max oils are kind of a, um, a gooey oil. They're not a uh, – if you like a really firm oil, you know, then you wouldn't like them at all. Uh, if you like a, a gooier oil like I do, then um, the Max were fantastic. Um, Say gooey some more, Patrick. Gooey. 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 Yeah. gooey. 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 What what would you think some of the things you would do to uh, what kind of drying times would you find to be normal? Uh, granted, you're working with uh, the water solubles, but what kind of a drying time did you find? Um, it, it depends on a lot of things, like how much medium you use, uh, whether you use a drying medium. They, hmm. There are some uh, uh, different. Yeah, I have a. Uh, I would usually use an alkyd, uh, uh, which is a medium that's got more of a body to it uh, or a uh, or a liquid medium if I was thinning the paints uh, uh, or I'm sorry a liquid drying medium if I was thinning the paints uh, so you can do that and, and the drying time will speed up uh, if you uh, use oils thinner of course they'll they'll dry quicker and the colors uh, dry at different times too yeah. so it really all depends but you have to before you could start painting on top of it with another layer you usually have to wait at least one day probably sometimes two days if you really want to uh, your next layer to go on without affecting the previous layer um, and sometimes even more depending on the weather and the paints you've been using yeah, I- um, but, but to actually finish it and deliver it you know and, and apply uh, lacquer to it, uh, I would usually wait a month. Huh. I mean, I'm, I'm working reasonably effectively in acrylics. I can get some pretty interesting nuances here and there, but I find I would like the idea. I kind of I'm partial to the idea of being able to blend, to have really subtle uh, gradations and blends with uh, with paint that remains wet for a good long while. Yeah, yeah least- that, that's the big that's the big advantage of oils. Uh, well, that and the fact that they have such wonderfully rich color. I, I like the way oils blend uh, far better than acrylics. I mean, it's just easier to blend them, and the, the blend itself looks nicer. Mm. Um, I, but, like the, I want to be able to pre mix so colors, rich. you know? Mm. I like that idea. You know, you can, you can do that with acrylics or oils. True, but the only thing is, you know, just uh, just issues of keeping of the paints remaining wet in between painting sessions, and my schedule can can become so. Uh... Well, if you mean the paint on the canvas, yeah, your acrylic is gonna dry pretty quickly. Um, all uh, between sessions, it'll always dry. But you know, one other thing to keep in mind is if you're doing acrylics, there's a slow drying medium. Um, yeah, there are yeah, several yeah. that are made, and you can actually get a little more of the uh, oil type blending going if you use that. I mean, not not even close to as long, of course, but you know, you can instead of having to do it within a, a couple of minutes, you can do it within a half hour or so. Yeah, I've got some slow dry blending medium here from Liquitex, which is I've I've experimented a little bit with it, and it's uh, not bad, not bad. I don't know. Well, like I say, this is going to be a worthy experiment. It'll be a worthy experiment. Have fun. Have fun. Share it with us. I will. I'll, I'll probably end up just doing them, and I'll probably start by using them in my uh, daily warm-ups, and just kind of like what I did with a lot of uh, before I went to doing acrylics 
professionally, I was building up to that, you know, just uh, doing little projects on the side before introducing it to my workflow. Right. Not a not a bad way to go about it. I have found anyway. But uh, yes. 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 People, things. Gooey. <laughs> Gooey. <laughs> you say it, Karen. Gooey. Gooey. <laughs> it sounds so impressed. Were you doing? Were you uh, doing some? Um, were you starting to take some classes? Uh, yeah, I was. I was gonna um, try and get a degree through um, uh, uh, Seattle Central Community College. Mm -hmm. It's a good community college here in Seattle, um, and um, I was gonna try and get an associate's, uh, and then kind of figure out what I wanted to do from there. I thought about going back, you know, actually going and getting a bachelor's in. Uh, maybe liberal arts or um, science or something like that. Idea. Do something completely different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been thinking about finishing my degree as I'm only about six credits short. Oh, there you go. But, but um, I'd have to do it online. And it would be kind of depressing to get a degree from, like, you know, online university when I should have, when if I'd just been able to stick around six months longer, I could have got, a, or three months longer, in fact, I could have done it in one term, I could have had a degree from Emily Carr. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it seems very unfair, but I guess it's better to have a degree from somewhere than a degree yeah. from nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but you were thinking about getting a degree in something unrelated to what you're doing? Yeah, um, I'm kind of, I'm still kind of in a position at the moment where I'm, I don't know, for a while, it doesn't really financially it doesn't make sense um, to to be doing something else. Um, but um, I guess I've grown a little um, disgruntled. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, uh, just kind of can just be nice to learn something new as well, you know. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, it kind of feels like you know just doing the same thing over and over and over and over. Oh uh, yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to do something completely different. Um, so I also looked into, um, it, w it wouldn't make sense for another couple of years, but uh, maybe joining either the Air Force or Navy Reserves. Um, wow, really? At your age? Yeah, but it, it's not a, um, it's not the reserve, I mean, it's weekend warrior, basically, so it's not, you know, wow, it's not serious. a full time situation. Uh, so, he'd be like, wow, you're like Florence of Arabia or something. <laughs> he fought with rebels, didn't he, in like some Islamic yes. country? Yeah. Yes, but he also. I, I think it was also, Arabia. He was. Yes, he, <laughs> I, I, I could have. I could have gone to the the Libyan front and joined the rebels and fought with them. Had some music playing in the background. You missed your chance there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the thing was, he had just joined. He had just joined up when he was much older than most of the other recruits, and it was very difficult for him. I don't think you want to be part of the National Guard because the National Guard are the ones who get called in to fight giant monsters. What? And things like that, and every and all those big old and those yeah. horror movies. Call in the National Guard. National the, Guard's also sent over to um, uh, Iraq and and whatnot, and, and getting deployed wouldn't be. Um, uh, 
the only thing for, for me for that would be it would be financial like it would be a financial ruin essentially Mm-hmm. Oh, um, don't do it here, uh, and you might die, and then we'd all be really sad. <laughs> no, I mean, I would never be. That's the thing is, I would never be in a role that would kind of, you know, put me in a situation like that, unless. Oh, you'd be do- you'd be doing what all those artists who entered the uh, the military service during World War II ended up doing. You know, painting posters. That's what I wanted to do, actually. I mean, uh, but that all that shit's outsourced now. So, uh, <laughs> you know? in almost yeah. everything in the military is outsourced now. Really? So, yeah. yeah. That's funny because they're all about the, all the military ads to get you to join the military, all about patriotism in America and stuff. And then they're outsourcing. Yeah, you'll be painting yeah. signs, you know, and designing yeah. war bonds. Exactly. Cool. Remember the episode of Blackadder where they tried to learn to paint so they could be taken away from the front lines? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I have to I have to admit something here. And okay, I probably take away all of my all of my street cred as a super cool nerd. Uh huh. But I don't like Blackadder at all. What? I don't get it. I don't get Mr. Bean. I don't get Blackadder. I just, Blackadder and Mr. Bean are like for two diametrically opposed audiences. But they're all that same guy, right? Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, it's the same actor in two entirely different shows. But but I think they both suck in in different ways. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not a fan of Mr. Bean, I have to be honest. Although, all the time when I was growing up, I thought thought, um, Rowan Atkinson was so sexy. And then somebody said he kind of looked like... And then somebody told me he kind of looked like my father, and I just couldn't see him as sexy (laughs) anymore, because that was really disturbing. And that's why you can't see him as sexy. That's the only reason... (laughs) No, you know he, I, he, I, I enumerate a few other faces. He is quite an attractive man. Huh. But okay. But the point being, I don't get black at her. Well, I don't get the humor. I don't understand when the punchlines are. I, well, I just, just like none of it is funny. Well, okay. it's probably because you're American. Well, yeah. no, I like Monty Python. Yeah, Monty Python is a bit more lowbrow and, and well, they're more they're more oh, theater yeah, the no, absurd. No, now you're just being now you're being silly. Uh, Blackadder <laughs> is a super lowbrow. It's yeah, yeah. Come on, uh, it's, not even, it's not as lowbrow as Monty Python. It doesn't even have a brow. <laughs> <laughs> Brows around the knees. <laughs> I think I think Monty Python was capable of non sequitur, you know, and absurdity. They pulled those off very well. And kidneys. And I kidneys. Think, I think maybe you don't get some of the jokes in Blackadder because you have to be somewhat familiar with British history. And and I, I understand that you Americans don't study that in your uh, school. Oh. Ooh, you oh. wouldn't know that by Dang. listening to some of our political ca- candidates right now, but okay. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> yeah, point. No, I, I have absolutely no way of defending America from that, <laughs> <from> that particular <laughs> barb. <because laughs> all of the evidence is against me. You're saying, Kieran? I said history seems to be frowned upon here because it seems like things politically go cyclical. Uh-huh. And oh yeah. To forget shit that happens, like you know, a term ago. ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because if uh, you don't learn history, you're doomed to repeat it, and the politicians yeah. want us to keep repeating history. That's because yeah. it was so much fun the first time around. Yeah, we, that's just what we need: another American Revolution. Mm. It's already starting. <laughs> But uh, yes, anyway, before we before we start getting letters <laughs> about uh, okay. political affiliation, 
Uh, don't listen to anything I ever say about politics <laughs> because I don't even vote. If you could vote without leaving your house, I would vote. You can. Well, down here you can. You mean you, you can't vote by mail up there? I don't know, in fact. Can you? I didn't think you could. Right, you Maybe can you can. Here. You should be able to vote. But, but you, you know, even to send something in the mail, you have to go to the mailbox. And I don't even know where the closest mailbox is. I've walked all my na- through my neighborhood and I haven't seen a single mailbox. Well, isn't there, uh, doesn't mail come to you? Yes. Okay, so but here's you what can't, you do. You can't put the mail, you can't put outgoing mail in that mailbox. Yes, you can't, can't you? No, you, can, you, you can. can't. You can't. Is it some weird it mailbox that won't take letters in it? Well, you can put one in there, but they won't take it out. And Have you tried? It. Give it a shot. Write me a letter. I'll give you my address. <laughs> it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. You, it doesn't work that way in Canada. Right. You, you right. can't Patrick. put outgoing mail in your incoming mailbox. What, Karen? I said write pa- Patrick to death threats to test it out. <laughs> yeah, good plan. And and threaten the president too, so we can see <laughs> yeah. if my mail's being read. Um, yeah, I don't think I want to spend my li- the rest of my life in Guantanamo Bay. Thank you. I mean, what would be like to be? You know, I know what would that be like to be? You know. F- Staying in a small living space and never being able to leave it—that'd be like, you know, know. I mean, <laughs> it'd be like watching Blackadder here. Well, yeah. you know, you joke, but if but my apartment is small and I don't leave it, but I think in Guantanamo Bay I would be in an even smaller space and I wouldn't have all my eye devices, so it would be worse. That's true. Do you trade cigarettes with your neighbor for goods and services? I don't even know my neighbor, except once. This old lady wandered into my apartment when I left the door unlocked. That's creepy. Yeah. That's perfectly healthy, perfectly normal. It'd be creepier if she got into bed with you. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Thank God Kieran's here to take it in that direction. <laughs> did, she a, a, did she have a dead eye like that? Uh, that no, she, remember that old lady and Drag Me to Hell? Oh, that yeah. You know, I watched that movie and I was like, that is 90 minutes of my life I'm never getting back. That was so bad. <laughs> that was a pretty awful movie. It was fun while I was watching it. And when it ended, I said, I should not have watched that. Well, that sequence where she loses her, her dentures and is attempting to bite the face <laughs> off. <the young> man. <laughs> oh, there's entirely too much vomit in that movie, too. I, I will give it this. It was better than Spider-Man or Spider-Man 3. I didn't see that. They weren't able to capture the magic of Spider-Man 2 in Spider-Man 3, were they? I, no. I just stopped watching superhero movies. It's, I've it's never kind been of into sad. superheroes at all. Oh, I, I have to say, they're doing a better job. I think Marvel Entertainment does a better job of their properties, certainly, than Sony has ever done. So, yeah, well, I, think the, I think the only superhero comic I've ever followed was the Max. Mm-hmm. But you're well, saying- I like the art in that. I like those little black creatures. What's up, Karen? You don't have to follow the comics because the movies that they make have nothing to do with the comics. No, they, they, they <laughs> certainly uh, they wanted to make the films are trying to be as mainstream as they can be. Yeah. With enough nods to the fandom to make them happy. Well, it's like X Men. I thought was atrocious. Well, that was uh, that's because that was a. Like, all those awesome storylines that they could have used from um, you know. From the comics mm-hmm. and actually done a really, you know, 
not. It's just terrible. No, they 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 really did not do. The Sony has just not done a very good job, I think, for the fans of the of those properties. Now, uh, I I did like uh, Iron Man, yeah. and of course the Batman movies are fantastic, but they're mm-hmm. not superhero yeah, movies. They're sort of crime movies with a superhero. Anything, anything that ends with man, I'm pretty much guaranteed not to care about it. Really. You didn't yeah. like? The ba- Did you ever see the Batman movies? Nope. Well, there you go. You, you oh, should... I told you, I don't care about it. I like. To, I have to say, I do like Nolan's films. On I like his Batman films. I'm a little. Yeah. I'm a little miffed in the first film, in which it is clear that Christopher Nolan had no desire to choreograph fight scenes. So all he did anyway. was basically he did a whole lot of whip pans and close-ups. Anyway, I don't get why they even bothered to make any more superheroes after Superman. Because, like, Superman was super. You couldn't get any better than Superman. He could fly around the world and turn back time. Batman <laughs> can't do that. you got to yeah. love that solution at the end of the first film. That's the point. What if you had this deep-seated emotional desire to be a superhero and you had absolutely no superpowers? There you go. You get Batman. Oh man! Bob's your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Batman could fly. Nope. I then watched how is he, Then how is he Batman if he can't fly? Does he echolocate? He's dressed like a bat. I don't know. I watched a documentary. On, he does it uh, too. Have you ever seen? There's a documentary out there. It's about um, just everyday normal. Well, everyday people. I wouldn't. I'm not sure normal quite is descriptive of their character, but. They uh, don costumes, become costumed crime fighters. Yeah, no, that's just retarded. <laughs> that's that's a little disturbing to me. I find that oh, a little yeah, there's disturbing. There's one up in your area, isn't there, Karen? Yeah. What's his name? Well, at least he does a better job than the police. Well, uh, some people do the right. I mean, some of these guys are pepper spraying eighty-four-year-olds. He's eighty-four. <laughs> Well, you know, I think if he's 84, he gets a pass. No, 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 no. He's not 84. These are people in their 30s and 40s and late 20s who just adopted these personas and put on costumes and took to the streets. I don't blame them. We live in a pretty bleak world nowadays. I mean, we're, we're the first generation in a long time mm-hmm. that has less prospects than our oh. parents did. Well, here. And, and you know, with the with the advent of mass media and instant uh, electronic communication, we're exposed to so much more nastiness yeah. of the world than the previous generations would be. The world just looks like it's so much more bleak and and, and corrupt place than it ever did before because we can see everything and, and everything rotten that happens, like you know, people getting hit by cars and uh, people walking past them while they bleed to death on the street. We see all that now. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, the thing is, I mean, oh, some uh, of these folks I'm are... Sorry. I'm sorry, one second. Go ahead. I have to go. Oh. Uh, I didn't realize we were going to be on so long. I'm really sorry, guys. That's okay. That's okay. okay. Have a lovely Sunday afternoon. Okay. And you guys finish up without me uh, and have an enjoyable... Say your website before time. you go, because we didn't do our websites at the beginning. Oh, that's, that's right. right. I'm uh, I'm Patrick at megaflowgraphics.com. Come and take a look, or uh, or don't, or <laughs> <laughs> or look look for Patrick McAvoy on Facebook, or look for Patrick McAvoy on DeviantArt. Um, you know, anything anything you do, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting me. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for joining that's us. Why he's always okay, guys. Me. It's always great to talk to you. Talk to you soon.
Hey, bye. Later. Bye. Well, I was saying, though, with uh, some of these... Um, some of these folks are at least are just more civic-minded individuals. You know, they're they're handing out supplies to the homeless and, and things of that sort. They're doing, uh, they're great. They're doing it in a somewhat you know, eclectic manner, but they're doing on the on the surface of it, they're yeah. doing so things they're that are just like normal. Farmers who are also helping people. Yeah, but so yeah, it's it's certain, nice. c- certain other ones are like trying to be mm-hmm. these night stalking Avengers and. <laughs> That's where it gets a little creepy. Yeah, that's a little creepy. They go on their patrol, if you will. You know, then the cops will approach them and tell them, you, you can't loiter here. You got to move on. You know, <laughs> in some instances, they just keep a cell phone on and they'll they'll report anything they witness. Other times, you'll see these poor fools running up into the into the uh, into the fray with pepper spray. Yeah. Oh wow! I know that one was recently. One of these people was recently arrested for that. You were just you were mentioning that, Kieran, right? Yeah. Um, uh, well, no. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, I guess he tried to break up this fight between this guy and a girl, and then the girl, or like, they end up turning on him instead. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, there was like a, a physical fight between a, a guy and a girl, or something like that. So he tried to break it up, and then. Um, uh, yeah, they turned on him, <laughs> which which is you know whatever predictable. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? Drunken, you know, college mm-hmm. kids in relationships. Um, uh, but no, I was talking about the Seattle police uh, pepper spraying the eighty-four year old woman. Um, oh my god! What Occupy Wall Street protest? Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't hear about that. I didn't. Oh, yeah. oh I didn't want to hear about that. That's horrible, poor old lady. Because she was so dangerous. You know. Yeah, I'm terrified of those old bags, you know. They might, they might give me a good handbagging, a la Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> terrifying. All right, I'm here with Darren Bader, fantasy sci-fi illustrator. And um, Darren, where can people learn more about your work? Uh, well, that's a tough thing. It should be my website, which is www.darrenbader.com. Now, if I updated my website, that'd be great. Um, you're welcome. Uh, thank you. The problem is, I have a day job, so updating my website is like very low on my priorities. <laughs> uh, what do you do in your day job? I'm an art director for Rockstar Games. So, video games. Last game I did was Red Dead Redemption. So, that takes up, you know, five days a week of just a regular day job. So, I do my freelance on the weekends, Saturday, Sunday. Hey, I mean, I'm, how does your illustration work influence your role as a art director at a computer game company? Uh... You know, I, I don't know that it influences it more. It's about the person that I am. I, I like observing. I like looking at things. You know, all of that comes into play with my art direction with video games. It comes into play with painting a picture of a dragon, you know. I love landscape, and so I love to put that into my paintings however I can. So it's just, it's really about all these things interest me, so they find their ways into everything I do. Was there like ever an aha moment when you re- transitioned from illustrator to art director with regards to how you view your own work? Uh, you know, I would say there wasn't. Uh, the, the art director 
I, when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to be an illustrator. That was yeah. my goal. You know, I, it's, I wanted to do comics. I wanted to do book covers. You see the Frazettas, the Borises, and that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. It wasn't easy to get those jobs, and you need a job just to survive, so I got into the video games. I actually started as an animator, 2D animator, doing Saturday morning cartoon stuff, and just evolved into, oh, here's a job at a video game company. And next thing I know, I'm an art director. I've been there for 17 years. So it's just, it's been the security of my life is having that job. And it's afforded me the opportunity to pick and choose kind of the freelance work that's come my way. Certainly. Now, where did you, um, how did you get started, say, with education? How did you educate yourself as an artist? Um, Well, I mean, I've always drawn, always. The earliest memories are of, you know, copying pictures from color books and stuff, stuff like that. Uh, my mom got me into painting classes when I was 14. She'd had people tell her, oh, yeah, you know, you should get him going outside of, you know, the, there wasn't any real art in school. So I had the private lessons there, and that kind of just kicked in, and it was just a matter of wanting to develop. So after that, after uh, high school, I went to San Diego State, majored in art with an emphasis in painting. And uh, kind of left all the fantasy stuff behind because, you know, you're in college. You don't want to be like, oh, yeah, my favorite is Frazetta. You know, like that doesn't go over well when they're looking at, you know, the art history and all of this kind of fine art and stuff. So I dabbled with the fine art and I enjoy it and I appreciate it for what it is. But after that, it was like, well, what I really want to do is, you know, some barbarians and mermaids and, you know, women and fantasy and Conan and, you know, Tarzan. All that stuff really is... It's, it's embedded in me as from from an early age, so that's those are the things that draw that draw me in. It seems like you managed to avoid the worst experiences in college that so many illustrators seem to have if they go to a fine art school where they find their interests being kind of poo pooed by the faculty and. Yeah, I, I was aware that that might happen, so I wasn't. And, and to a certain degree, I can understand the, the the feelings towards that. When I went to school, it was about learning about the medium you're using. It you know subject matter, not that it was secondary, but it needed to be. It needed to have depth. That's the whole point of art. It's got to have some depth. So, for the average person, you know whether you're interested in fantasy or not. You want subject matter that is involving to you because you're emotionally tied to it. And the secret is to tie what you're doing with with paint or with sculpture into those emotional ties that you've already got. And that's where, you know, you're driven to create a piece of art. It's, it's, it's you. What you create is this accumulation of your experiences. So if it happens to be fantasy art, then that's all fine and dandy. But the average person, you know, it, it can be seascapes, it can be nudes, it can be graffiti art. It's it's their sensibilities that inform what drives them, and, that, you know, that's what they try and put out. So, yeah, with fantasy art, I wasn't expecting... It's not like I had to do it. I was actually very curious about what could I do in, in, a, in a fine art world, you know? I love figure painting, beautiful figure sculpture, whatever. I love abstract art. You know, I love landscape. I want to do a whole series of landscapes. There's a lot of great landscape painters that are just phenomenal. But, you know, fantasy art is a very nice genre. It's fun. It's it's quick and immediate. So that's like, hey, that's cool. I'm going to do a harpy. You know, I'm going to do some some hot chicks. That's great. You know, it's fun. So you can just kind of roll with that. It's, it's an easier, quick fix kind of thing, you know. Now, your first job coming out of school, uh, they were in animation? Or? Uh, 
well, yeah, I painted some T-shirts and stuff when I was living in San Diego, you know, just kind of making ends meet, but uh, ended up getting a job doing 2D animation at a company that was, uh, we were trying to get The Simpsons. That would have been great if we got The Simpsons contract, but we didn't. We got Attack of the Killer Tomatoes instead. Yeah, yeah. You Attack poor of- bastard. Hey, man. <laughs> I, was, I was the lead animator on Gangrene for, you know, full season of Saturday morning. So, but that was great because it's, it, animation taught me a lot about emotion in, in your characters. Uh, it taught me a lot about observing uh, movement and, and all of that stuff once again applies can easily apply to you know your other types of art and it was a great experience I loved it I really loved it now when did you move into freelancing what what started you off in freelancing uh, well it was it, it was always the need that okay to do you know my lofty goal was to do book covers and to do book covers you are a freelance artist you know you don't there aren't in-house jobs for that so I think really what it was was getting the first bits of freelance. I was living in San Diego. I was able to go to the San Diego Comic-Con. And, you know, before it was incredibly huge like it is now, it was still huge back then. But I would show my portfolio to people I respected, you know, Mike Kaluta, Jeff Jones. These guys get their opinions about, you know, what they thought, what I should work on. And, uh, and then I would show it to other comic companies, and uh, then cards were just starting to come out. And I showed it to uh, Matt Wilson, who was working for uh, Alderac at the time, doing the L5R work. And I was like, hey, man, I'll, I'd love to do some work. He said, oh, yeah, I love your stuff. Let's do some stuff. And uh, he hired me for a couple cards, and then he got a job at Wizards of the Coast and kind of brought me along as one of his, uh, oh, let's hire Darren. And so that was it. It's like the magic cards really started pouring in there. And then that got me a lot of visibility and kind of, you know, blossomed into other stuff. And over time, that eventually led you to art direction and among other things? Well, the video game stuff, that was really... It's like I'm running two parallel lives. You know, I was still doing the animation, and then that job kind of dissolved, and I ended up getting into... I was animating Berenstein Bears for a while. Uh, And... You know, then video games really started kicking in in San Diego. There were a bunch of different companies. And uh, through the Comic-Con, I had met people from Angel Studios who uh, did the Lawnmower Man 3D or, or CG stuff, yeah. early stuff. I remember that. And they got into video games, and they were looking for a painter. And so they contacted me, and I, I knew of them because they did the Peter Gabriel video. He's one of my favorite uh, musicians. And so I was like, oh, my God, Angel Studios. And... They hired me to work on a Sega Saturn game way back in the day, and I was instantly an art director there. It was before there was really, like, they didn't hire concept artists. They didn't hire, you know, they hired an artist. And I came in, and it was up to me to talk to people about, oh, make this blue, make this green, make it less saturated, whatever. And I just sort of became the art director. And then that was about 17 years ago. So I've been there. We got bought by Rockstar eventually after working with them for a while. And it's just been this evolution inside there. So outside of that, mm-hmm. I've just always, you know, magic cards, Warcraft cards, whatever, covers, comics, and things. They've just kind of, they happen on the weekends. Who would you say are some of the biggest influences on your work in general? Uh, well, to me, it's pretty obvious that it's for Zeta. I mean, that... It's, it's hard to get away from that. Sometimes it's just too much. I just like, come on, stop with the Frazetta aping. It's, you know, but he, I just love the way he worked. But I've always loved, you know, Boris. I've always loved Waylon. There's so many different types of fantasy art. 
and, and skills, or, or not skills, but styles that I really like. The clean stuff, I like the rough stuff. I love Justin's sweet, the, the energy he brings to it. Um, I think I can look at any artist, and there's always something that I'm like, I'd like to incorporate that into my work. You know, so I like to take and mix it all up as best as I can. And, you know, it's things that I enjoy doing hopefully come out in the piece. But, yeah, Frazetta is the one for me. If you were to talk to um, whether it be a student or a seasoned artist and they wanted to, you know, to enhance their work, I mean, what do you think are the most important things that somebody who's a a practitioner of the arts shouldn't consider? Should consider? consider, Yeah. I mean, for for fantasy, I would say, well, it kind of goes for any representational work. Life drawing is just great. Still life drawing is great. Observation, you know, looking at light, looking at shape, looking at form, proportions, character, all of these things. Every artist can always continue to learn. One of my earliest painting teachers, the guy when I was back at 14 and I sat down and started taking a class, the first thing he said was, there will always be people better than you. You know, before he saw anything I ever done, he just kind of knocked me down a peg instantly and says, there will always be artists better than you and you should always try and be a better artist. And that's kind of stuck with me because it's so true. You, you, you can always do better. It's just how much effort are you willing to put into it, you know? When you see people excel very quickly you realize yes they have talent but they also work their butts off you know they work really hard to get better and better and better so you know you work at home alone as a freelancer but yet you also go into a studio environment how do you feel that um how does working in that studio environment inform your work does it push you does it uh, what do you think that you walk away from with from that experience well, I think the best thing about the studio environment is the, the camaraderie you have with people. When you're all working on one project, you're you're kind of in a family, and you're all shooting for this one big goal, you know. And it takes everybody's effort to create something as massive as a video game. You've, certainly, the games that we create, and uh, it's it's a family-like feeling. You're all you're all in pain at the same time. You're all happy at the same time. There's you know, it's you're part of that community and that's entirely different from sitting alone in your studio with a brush and pigment and your canvas you know and sometimes music like that's you know they're so they're worlds apart and and to be honest I couldn't live without either one you know I couldn't be freelance all the time because I would just be going nuts I'd have to find people I have to talk and converse and you know have some interaction but I couldn't not do this painting. I have to have those times alone to get out of my system the need to paint and draw. You know, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Sure, sure, no problem. It's been fun. Right. You take care, sir. You too. Thanks. Somebody, somebody told me that douchebags have totally taken over the Occupy Wall Street movement, though they don't even know what it really stands for. They're just, you know, losers who are out there because they have nothing better to do with their time, and they're giving the whole thing a bad name. I don't know if that's true, though, because the guy who told me that also, mm, well, he, oh. he likes to complain because he gets taxed so much, but he's also in the top 1%. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's face it, there is, there's always, the, the, I think with any large crowd you're going to find that spectrum of individual 
yeah. I mean, you can't. There's always going to be some wankers just out there for the. Yeah, there, yeah. there's always somebody out there who just basically they just want to watch stuff burn. And mm-hmm. but you can't you can't make them the face of a of a of a particular movement or you know. Unfortunately, it always seems to be the the wankers who stick out. You know, you, you always you always notice. The people who are who are making problems always get all the attention. Yeah. It's a very um, what's the word? Uh, it's very mm, depressing. Depressing. Yeah, I think that would be the word. Yeah, but anywho, but anywho, yes. Fresh topics. Fresh topics. You know, I think we were talking about deviant art, and then we just totally got off. Yeah, yeah, we we got to talking about reference and, and yeah. things of that sort. Yeah, like, oh yeah, because somebody mentioned anime. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or influence, like, at least not reference, but influence. You know. Yeah. But uh, but it's interesting. You're you're the one thing we do notice about sites like deviant art is that um, well, it's not as though you're going to see people who are very much in their their very earliest days of making images. And, Elfwood. Hmm? Elfwood. Elfwood, yeah. <laughs> Elfwood, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You yeah. know, I haven't thought about Elfwood in forever. I don't know if it's still around, is it? Oh, yeah, it's still there. Um, the guy's actually trying to sell it, I think. I, 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 I um, somehow subscribed to their newsletter, and he, he sent out an email saying, oh, yeah, we're trying to sell Elfwood. <laughs> Good luck with that, dude. <laughs> Do do you find? I mean, are the people who post their work on Elfwood are they actively seeking critique for their work, or is it generally just I'm posting this and I just want people to marvel at it? I have no idea. I don't really go to Elfwood. Yeah. Just curious. I I know that for instance, um, Epilogue had uh, juries to if you wanted to post an image on Epilogue, there were people who juried or if you will judged pieces to be visible on the site, right? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I used to, Patrick and I were both editors there. I don't think either of us really go there anymore, though, because, you know, the, the site, they haven't updated it in so long, and it's full of ads and slow servers, and it's, it's just not, yeah. it's not, it's not fun to go there anymore. I think that was my primary gripe with Epilogues. I just couldn't, it just took for ages, just ages to upload things. Yeah, I mean, it got when, off to a really promising start, and when it was when it was a smaller site, it was... It looked like it was really going places because it did have, generally speaking, some really nice art and oh, uh, yeah. had a thriving forum. And then it just, it, the programmer quit, I think, and it ran into some financial hard times. Hmm. Uh, and they couldn't afford to keep up the service to so the slowness and, and it was just awful. And, and then there were these huge pop-up ads and pop-unders and stuff, so nobody really wanted to go there anymore. Yeah. I, I think it, for me, it got to the point where if someone wanted to show me something that they had posted in an epilogue, I had to sit there and wonder, now, do I have 10 minutes to kill for <laughs> yeah, this image to I thought, I thought download? I ended, starting, I ended up starting using DeviantArt more and more at that point, mm-hmm. which I never thought would happen, because when I first started posting there, it was, it was it, mm-hmm. I was like... You know, I just thought of it as sort of a, a site mostly full of teenagers. You post it just because it's a place to post. What do you, what do you guys think of that? I, I noticed that some there are plenty of professional artists who seem to have they don't maintain a, a personal URL in in favor of a deviant page, for instance. And well, I mean, you know, it's free. Just well, yeah, yeah. It's free. It's and if you and when you get daily deviations, you get a. You know, you get a lot of attention. Oh, yeah, you're certainly going to get more traffic from that community than you will just, you know, 
for instance, to a standard URL. But yeah, totally. And, and I mean, it's it's a good it's good advertising. It gets and you know it gets gets you out there a bit. And I've been hearing stuff about a new site called Red Balloon or Red Bubble or something. Okay. And, and and a few people have been saying lately that it's it's better than DeviantArt. They have a better prints program, uh, less vulvas on the main page, and so forth. And I I've been thinking about checking it out, but you have to upload all your stuff in really high resolutions um, in specific file formats, and um, I haven't really had time to put anything there yet. Uh, you know, I was uh, when I was down in Altoona, I ran into Peter Morbacher of uh, WIP. And he was talking quite at length about their new program, their new uh, web community that they're developing called WIP Nation. And, oh, really? Yeah. So is this online already, or is it something? This has been just... online for sh- for some time. I I missed the whole uh, launching of that because I was just uh, too busy in my little world here. Um, so what is it exactly? Like another DeviantArt or something? Oh well, it, I think what they they have a somewhat more robust type of community in the works they're 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 still developing new tools for it and taking suggestions and one of the interesting aspects of this if we were going to do a critique episode for instance would be the addition of a red line feature they actually have a red line feature so you could an image could be uploaded and then you could say this is what i would do in red line oh hey you know that's cool except does the red line appear on the image or on, it, a, on, separate a, on a separate jpeg it generates oh. <laughs> a new JPEG, doesn't it? You're not going to overmark this person's digital file. It's just going to yeah, generate a new... Said, like some jerk could just go through and <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it generates a new, a new image that you can then say, <laughs> for instance, would say, okay, this ang- the angle of this one is creating a merger slash tangent with this one, so this is what I would do to alleviate that, and bang, there's a red mark right there. And rather than having to write this, you know, that picture replacing a thousand words, mm-hmm. there you go. Oh, that's really good. I'm going to check this out. What did you say it was WIP Nation? WIP Nation. And uh, oh, I imagine just... many of our listeners are more knowledgeable about it than 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 we are at this point. I'm sure they've been keeping track of that. But yeah, it's something to look into. Oh, it's a... I want to have a look at this. Is it all one word or two words? Or I, I think it is. It might be just one. Just, just look it up You'll online. You'll be able to find it pretty readily. I'll add a uh, link in the show notes. Art community. WIP Nation is a community for illustrators and concept artists who never stop learning. Mm-hmm. Hey, that sounds good. I'm going to join this. It looks pretty Can cool. I, I haven't had a chance to really explore it, but uh, uh, th- there was. Uh, we've been invited if we wanted to start posting our show to that site, for instance, and promoting the show through there. You know, I think we should do it. This looks like a pretty good site. I'm looking at it now. They've got some... They've got their, their front page. They've got some really pretty art up there, and they've yeah. got some art orders moved over there. They're hosting. They host Art Order now. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. It says Art Order there. Um, yeah, we should. We should. We should. Um, we should affix ourselves to these people. <laughs> they have some really good ideas. I'm. I. I, I know. I've sent it an email to you guys. <laughs> I know folks are a little bit busy to respond to it, <laughs> but this is uh, definitely I, interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think it's worth. I think it's worth exploring. They uh, they have blog features and all sorts of things that are worth checking out, and we'll we'll learn more about it in the weeks ahead. But this one that's one, been that's one thing I notice you don't get a lot of an, on deviant art. Um, you don't get a lot of critique. Um, you know, you can occasionally you get someone give you a little suggestion, and it's always appreciated. But I, I don't know. I think the last time I had a really in-depth critique was the last time we did one of a critique episode on here where we critique each other's pieces. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, yeah, it's, it's nice to have people say a bit more than, oh yeah, awesome, it looks like X other artist that you already know what it looks like. <laughs> yep. And plus it's our friends over at WIP, so. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm going to sign up here. This fellow looks- members of the uh, Visual Artist Podcast Network plug. Bang. A little plug there. So worth checking out. Worth checking out if you haven't already, folks. Um, I only just found out about it myself, but uh, I'm pretty excited about it. A lot of really interesting tools. But, uh, so any other topics, guys? I'll probably end up cutting this together with some of the interviews I took in Altoona. I think that'd be good fun. I, I got some really nice ones. I got an interesting interview with uh, Jane Frank, for instance, that I think some folks will find interesting. Yeah, you told us about that a few times already. Never on, never on air. <laughs> but you are not interested because it took place somewhere other than your apartment. I'm just, I'm just jealous. I don't want to go. <laughs> what the hell is a domo kun? I have no idea. I'm trying to sign up for WYP Nation. It says, how many domo kuns in this image? And then it has a picture of two little brown things chasing a cat. I'm going to guess through those two little brown things. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? But anywho, if uh, you guys anything you want to plug before we start wrapping up today? Uh, Not really, no. Not really? How about your art book? So, once again, let the world know. Oh, yeah, I have an art book coming out. Um, and you sound so excited about it. <laughs> well, um, it, it's not really an art book. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not like a, a book of my art. It's a book, of, it's a book about art. Mm-hmm. So if you want, if it's, a book of, it's a book for beginners. So probably people listening to this podcast aren't beginners. They won't want to buy it. But if you are a beginner, it's out there. It's, um, uh, it'll be printed, I think, in February or something of next year. So it probably, I don't know when it, exactly it's, it'll be available, but it's called something like Fantasy Arts Technique Book or something. I don't know. Just <laughs> something, yeah. I, mean, Amazon, I wrote the like, book. I don't know what the title is. <laughs> and, and, and also, according to Amazon, I'm a London-based fantasy artist. Fantasy artist. You are banned from fantasy art, apparently. <laughs> yeah. That, You're that's a counterculture fantasy artist. I'm also kind of wondering when I moved to London, you know, I, I, I've, uh, False Creek, uh, the, the Thames is looking an awful lot like False Creek lately. Uh, what does that look like to be a fantasy artist? Yeah, my, my, I'm so counterculture, my elves have tattoos. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what went up, what happened there, but, um, I think, um, well, um, uh, not not all of the stuff in the book is written by me, though. So there's some, mm-hmm. there's some stuff in there that. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that uh, Anne has a section in there too. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a, there's a section that Anne has written on digital art, and uh, there's um, a section that somebody wrote about perspective mm-hmm. because I don't know anything about perspective. That's handy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I did write part of the section of perspective but some other artist who i don't know who it was helped out with that and hopefully their name will be in there so you can know who that was if you buy it and there is a bunch of, there will be a bunch of new artwork in there that hasn't been seen anywhere else but uh just just in case anyone was thinking it's going to be an art book it isn't it's uh it's um an instructional manual for beginners a manual yeah it's nice. a manual the kama sutra for artists 
actually no, they didn't let me put in any nudes. Even the life drawing section was not allowed to have any nudes in it at all. Which is very, very strange, but I guess American audiences just can't handle it. So, yeah, there's there's no this is like a, a very G rated art book. Carlos, when when you're in class, didn't they cover up David? Well, they apologized beforehand or warned beforehand when they were showing statues of David or whatever. What? Was it? It wasn't you? Oh, I remember a story or something like that. Oh, I thought there was like a problem with nudity or something like that in one of the classes at school. Oh, that's um... Yeah, they, 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 uh, the school itself had a, a policy of no frontal nudity. Um, oh, for photography or photography oh. or for any artwork at all. Oh, the school the school has a policy of no frontal nudity for any artwork at all. But that's mm-hmm. pretty broken. I did break it. Yeah, cross cross has been breaking. So, it. so if you so if you draw somebody who who's viewed side on, but you can still see their genitals, is that okay? Uh, if you can if you draw someone side on, but you can still see their genitals, is that okay? I have I have a boy with a freaking. Yeah, he, he did a um, uh, a shot which is um, Achilles. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's it's a essentially a reenactment of a of a Roman statue or a Greek mm-hmm. statue. It was Roman. Roman statue. Roman statue. Um, uh, and uh, it was full frontal nude, so you you know see everything. Um, but uh, they actually you got good marks for it, didn't you? Yeah, you got good marks for it. So <laughs> when I was um, uh, so, yeah. I had one professor who tried to get us all to take off our clothes in life drawing class so the so that we would not be so self conscious about having the nude model. And nobody nobody did it. I think he wanted to just recreate his favorite scene from Caligula. I was I was like, dude, I'm seventeen. <laughs> no. <laughs> I get naked in front of you. We no in, I remember in uh, when I was in school, there was a uh, one student took upon themselves to um, uh, create a series of photographs of you know portraits, full body portraits of people, and um, they were they were going to disrobe to what level they felt comfortable. And they were all fully dressed. Oh well, one guy didn't even take his hat off. <laughs> you know, he was <laughs> took a shot at him, and he still had his hat on. He was his full dressed winter garb hat on. By the time you got to the end, it was just this young lady standing in a contrapposto on a soapbox, lighting a cigar, you know, lighting a cigarette, not a stitch, you know, just looking bored by the whole proceeding, <laughs> you know. She could have been standing on a street corner, you know. It was hey, interesting. Uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy um, did something kind of similar to that, um, uh, or just just by sort of setting out a um, series of photographs, with giving people a, an option. Um, and uh, he put out an ad in um, the paper and, and had people come as the person they've always wanted to be. Um, and uh, so people would, would, would rock up um, in different costumes um, and he'd take portraits of them. Um, and there was everything from a stripper to a guy that I think he was, he'd made himself to be a tree. Um, but it was like just put- all like, he, like he tape barked himself or something? Yeah, uh, hold on, I'll actually find it. Um, Wait, Leonard Nimoy isn't that... Um... Spock. Yeah, he's, Spock, he's a photographer. Oh. He has a master's degree in photography. I That I did not know. I, I knew that William, <laughs> William Shatner did a lot of strange things, but I didn't know Leonard Nimoy also had such an active post-Star Trek life. 
Secret Cells. Uh, you see, I think it's I think it was a lot more um, embarrassing to be naked in front of people you're going to see again, like people in your life drawing class, than it would be to be naked in front of complete strangers, like when you're stripping at a strip club. Oh. I just sent a link. Oh, I can't I can't get it. I'm on my iPod. Oh. You're um, late. I know, I suck. If you, um, if you look up Secret Selves with Leonard Nimoy, um, mm -hmm. it'll take you to uh, his gallery. Okay, um, hang on. Secret... I got it right here. There it is. Oh, there it is. I love the way my iPad just guesses what I'm going to type in and types it in for me. Leonard Nimoy Photography. Who you always wanted to be. It must be kind of a boost him having been in Star Trek because people already know who he is. Oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. But uh, yeah, that's cool. Check that hey. out further. Oh, person dressed like a dragon. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. Wow, those are some serious breasts on that dude. <laughs> we will put these in the show notes for folks. <laughs> what? Uh, oh. Oh, is hmm? I'm I feel so stupid now. I was like laughing at this guy for having breasts, and it's a woman. I feel <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're looking at the thumbnail. <laughs> no, I was actually looking at the whole picture. Uh, <laughs> and now that I look at the breasts more closely, I'm like, yeah, those are definitely female breasts. Well, thank God you cleared that up. No, see, I, I think I got something. I will. The I'll, beard really threw me off. To be fair, we we had a really interesting announcement over down in Altoona. the The show is actually going to be has one more year in Altoona, uh, Illuscon. One mm -hmm. more year in Altoona, and then um, for 2013, they're going to move it to Allentown, PA, Pennsylvania. Move to Vancouver. They're, well, they're going to move it to Allentown, but to a museum. To their art museum down in uh, in Allenstown, Pennsylvania. Oh, I suck. They should move it to Vancouver so I can come. Of course, so, I probably still wouldn't come. But it's going to be pretty awesome. They're going to have access to um, classroom space and studio space uh, across the street from the museum, and they also have. Uh, it will be very well lit, as you can imagine. Museum lighting for all the artists who will be in displaying their work. So and the hotel is only about four, uh, maybe a, just a few blocks away. So, very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, hopefully oh, we can, we'll be able to talk a little bit more about it soon. With his dog. Hmm? I said, ooh, that's disturbing. There's a man posing naked with his dog. <laughs> you can, yeah, I can, you can tell Sokar does not want to talk about this show. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't. But <laughs> I don't, because I never leave my place. <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm jealous of people who... You know, get to enjoy life. <laughs> really sick of being stuck indoors all the time. Uh. And I'm also tired of people who um, have lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, anyway, you know, we should probably we can wrap this up. We've been on for a little while, and we still have other some other footage that we'll drop into the show. So, um, let folks know that they should be once again. If you'd like to 
put forth some artwork for, for critique, head on over to ninjamountain.blogspot.com and drop a link in the comments section of this episode. And uh, I'd like to thank Sokar Miles. Agorblamey.com. Kieran Yanner. At KieranYanner.com. And I'm Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughStudios.com. And thank you for joining us this week, gang. Cue the musication. Yay. Yay. Mm. That, that should be a pretty good show.